We thank you for the, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. Well, the title for today is, is More Fruit. Paul goes over more fruit as an evidence of fruit. And as we begin this morning, I hope you all came awake and prepared this morning to, to close out another wonderful and excellent study of God's Word in the Philippians with God's people, His faithful students, right? Amen. And I'm excited to be with you, and it, it truly has been wonderful. I think I can speak for Marshall as, as the same, and, and the others that sat in, Pastor Kevin, thank you. And, um, and it's been an honor digging in and, and learning alongside of you through this all. And today's section is joyful, and it is to be encouraging, and I want to do that too. I want to do that also. But by way of reminder from last week, as a continuation uh, of the sort for Marshall, Paul is rejoicing over the Philippians' fruit, and he's in their concern for others to bringing to bear this week on their hearts the, the joy of remembering specific time or specific times, their action, their fruit, or their evidence. But the majority of our time together this morning, it will probably be a sober realization. It's a joyful section, but we know, and praise God for that, but we know that sometimes those joyful realities are paired up with sober subjects as well. And I, know, I hope that we will see that today. And uh, the overall goal is encouragement. But let's put things into context for a moment, that the overall picture of Philippians is what? What is the overall picture of Philippians? Joy, yeah, absolutely. This is a subject, and also how to have that joy overall. All right, so we see the theme, we see the, the subject, and typically when someone is speaking, the, the first subject that we cover and the last subject that they cover are, generally speaking, the most important, right? Take, for example, Christ's words, his first earthly ministry words. Does anybody know where we can find those or what they were? Christ's first earthly ministry words. What is it? Not quite. Matthew 4:17 Jesus says from that time Jesus began to preach and say repent for the kingdom of God is at hand repent for the kingdom of God is at hand these are rather crucial words wouldn't you think and I'm very thankful that he has said those things and the subject being the the kingdom of heaven and how we must respond. Well, God's first topic in when we dig into Philippians, obviously he's letting the Philippians know how thankful he is for them. But when we dig in, the first meat and potatoes that we get to is the, the person and work of Christ, the gospel. 
and the furthering of it. Likewise, when someone closes out or finishes things up just in general, you may want to listen up, as, such as some of my favorite words in, in all of the scriptures. Does anybody know Christ's last earthly ministry words? What is it? It is finished, absolutely. John 19.30. It is finished. Those are beautiful words from our Savior. And so as God closes out His Word, as found in the book of Philippians, we need to listen up. Not that the other things that Christ says throughout His earthly ministry are not important. They certainly are, and they pertain just as much. But as a fallen sinner and myself as well, uh, I tend to struggle with that thing called memory. And, but I tell you what, I can retain it as finished. Not necessarily all the implications thereof within, but certainly how it applies to, to me. It is finished. My sin, our sin, paid for, it's done with. And so the last big topic found in Philippians is giving. We see that. And, and the main subject in focus here is, is God and His promise to fulfill all your needs according to His riches. And putting things into context for us, Paul's he's been in prison for about two years. He's not exactly in great circumstances right now. In fact, so not so great that death is on the table as a, as a real outcome. He's contemplating death as a real possibility. In Paul's mind, these might be perhaps the last words that he ever utters to anybody. And he chooses giving to cover for his final words. But why giving? Why giving, or or rather the event of giving of a gift to remember? Well, when we look closer at the text... That's not really giving that Paul's addressing. It's not really giving that, that God chooses to focus on here. So let's, if you're not there already, turn with me to Philippians 4, Philippians chapter 4, 15 through 23. That's our text for the day. I want to start in verse 14, though. Not that Marshall didn't cover it last week. He certainly did. But to help us bring it in a little bit and connect some things. But... Verse 14, he begins, Nevertheless, you have done well to fellowship with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church fellowshiped with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the fruit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have, and have an abundance. I have been filled having received, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will fulfill all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. 
All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We see three things in the text that are highlighted and related to biblical giving. So if you're taking notes here, these are the three benefits of biblical giving. Three benefits of biblical giving. And I want to point out here that there's no correction here. He's not telling them to do anything in regard to giving. But rather he's reminding and he's encouraging. He's reminding them of specifics that they could recall. A memory. He's been in ministry with them, partners in ministry, for about ten years. And he's reminding, recalling of of certain times and, and encouraging them with truth in regard to that. So the first point, the first point that we come across is in verse 15. This is fellowship in giving. This is the fellowship in giving. Verse 15 says, And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church has fellowshiped with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. So in verse 15, we see fellowship. This is also could be understood as, as I'm sure you're aware of partnership. When we give our resources, we are partnering and we are fellowshipping with that ministry or that individual. It's not a light thing to consider. First off, we must understand that nothing that we have is ours. And I know you all know this well. I'm preaching to the choir. It's all owned, bought and paid for, free and clear by the God of this universe who owns everything. We all get that. It's all His. But we are called stewards and and managers elsewhere in the text of those things. So we must be wise or pushing toward all discernment in who and what we devote these things toward and, and our resources, His resources, because we will give an account for those things. So just as we must be careful and discerning on who we fellowship with on a spiritual level, to as the same degree we must be doing the same with giving, there's no difference. Whether it's our financial resources or time or whatever you have. And I want to also blend the next point as well, because I think that they go quite well together. The next point that we find in the text would be the fruit of giving. The fruit of giving. We know that the Philippians were wise investors. They saw the benefit of uh, investing in a, menis, uh, in, in a missionary like Paul. They received the gospel. We see that. By Paul preaching it, obviously that's from God. But they saw the life-giving work that God was doing through Paul's ministry. And therefore they gave. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 2, 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 2, that tells us that they gave out of extreme poverty or, or deep poverty. That's what they gave out of. And they gave enough to meet their promise what they already told them that they were going to give. And it was enough in verse 18 that we see an abundance. Paul had an abundance here. When no other church did this, in in verse 
15 that says, No church fellowship with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. Out of dirt poor, and yet the only cheerful givers for Paul. Paul uses Old Testament language here of a sacrifice. Verse 18, he says, A fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. He's comparing this to Old Testament sacrifices that were pleasing and that were good in the sight of God. Now in regard to everything in life, we, there are two ditches. And in the subject of giving, there's no different. So how was it pleasing to God? How was this pleasing to God? Because we also don't want to be persuaded nor guilted either. We can be prone to pulling on the heartstrings toward unfaithful giving. If you're with me, turn to Mark chapter 12, the Gospel of Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, and I hope you already know where I'm going, but there's an old widow and her offering, verse 41 through 44, Mark 12, 41 through 44, we see. And this isn't a parable, this isn't some sort of illustration that Christ gives, he's staring and watching what's happening right here. This is the words of our Lord Christ, he says, it says, and he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the crowd was putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. And, poor, and a poor widow came and put in two lepta, which amounts to a quadrants. My mind has trouble. A quadrants. And calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all those putting money into the treasury. For they all put out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. See, Christ here, he's pointing out a widow's giving that she gave all that she had to live on. And he's also pointing out a system that had morphed into taking advantage of people in, in their giving. Guilt them into giving. This is unwise. Both ways, both examples that he gives, he points out, either way, whether you're giving out of your surplus or whether you're giving all that you have to live on, this is not wise either way. On the other hand, God does tell us how we should give. 2 Corinthians 9, 5 and following. 2 Corinthians 9, 5 and following says, so I regard it necessary to encourage the brothers that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand to your previously promised blessing. Previously promised blessing. So that the same would be ready as a blessing and not as a begrudging obligation. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows with blessing will also reap with blessing. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. 
Now, if you're after a specific dollar amount on what is sparingly giving versus what, is, what would be sowing with blessing, I'll let you know when I figure that out, okay? But enough about how to give. That's not the major large point in the text, although it is something within the text. So I do think, and it's a huge deal to God about giving, so I did want to cover it, but is a, as a necessary point. But that's not the main point of this text. The point of these verses is a reminder of a specific time or times and, and motives and mainly encouragement. Paul is essentially saying, hey, you've done well in the past. You're currently doing the, the whole topic of Philippians. You've done well. Keep going. Keep going. It, it, hey, Philippians. Hey, Philippians, remember that time. That's essentially what, what Paul is saying here. With a smile on his face, with jail as a potential of death as well. From the very beginning of chapter 4, verses 15, our section today, verses 15 through 23, from the very beginning at the root, we see the gospel. Paul's saying, I, I can see Christ in you. I see the Holy Spirit working through your sacrificial giving. You are loving me, and it's pleasing to the God of this universe. I'm so thankful to see you grow. That's what he's saying. That's the sentiment toward the Philippians. But also, we see a direct correlation to our thankfulness of the gospel, the person and work of Christ, and our giving. Not just financially, but everything. Everything about you. Although financials and physical gifts, they are a real part of that. Absolutely. The only reason that they sent the gift is because they heard the gospel, they responded to the gospel, and they loved the gospel of Christ's righteousness, his substitutionary atonement, his substitutionary death, and rising from the dead on the third. It is life-changing. And the fruit is increasing. The only way that fruit can increase is if you love Christ and what he has done. That's it. The only reason that the Philippians gave was because they loved the Savior. And therefore, they gave sacrificially. I'm not encouraging anyone to give more. These Philippians gave what they promised. Not out of guilt, or else Paul could not compare it to a pleasing sacrifice. And God is encouraging them by He's telling them that it is pleasing. It is evidence. I can see fruit in your lives because of your response to the gospel in this way and reminding them of this. And they have actively chosen to fellowship with Paul by giving and keeping their word, keeping their promise. And the increase of fruit in their lives is the result. Verse 19, we're moving on to our third point, which also goes well with the first two. So the three benefits of biblical giving. First was fellowship in giving. Second is the fruit in giving and the increase there. The third is God the giver. God 
the giver. Verses 19 and 20. i got to go back to Philippians. Verses 19 and 20, Paul says, And my God will fulfill all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Verses 19 and 20, we see two things going on here. First is that Paul is reminding them that God is the provider of all of these things. Every single last bit of it. God is it. Second is a doxology of these things. Paul's recalling their faithfulness. Paul is exploding here. He can't keep it in. Paul's recalling these things, their faithfulness, always getting to the root that God is responsible. Ultimately, God provided the gift. God provided the Philippians with their means and their ability. He can't keep it in. He's thankful for it all. But ultimately, he's overwhelmed here by the giver. And he's not afraid to let that be known. How often are we overwhelmed by the giver? This giver who gives, in verse 19, according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This giver who will fulfill all your needs according to this. How often? Can we just stop, pause, and say amen there? To the goodness and and the wisdom that he has in that? We could just stop right there and that would be enough. Amen? But we won't. We'll go on. But he'll fulfill all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This is according to, not out of. What this is not is an immensely wealthy individual that just so happens to have some to spare, so here you go. That's not what it is. This is not that, hey, I've got some to spare. Here's some scraps for you. Not at all. That's... That would be out of, but this is rather according to. So I ask you, who is Christ? Who is Christ? Christ is God. Christ is God in the flesh. Christ is the perfect lamb. Christ is the perfect sacrifice. He's the perfect righteousness. He rose on the third Christ fulfilled all of the scriptures. And he is now at the right hand of the Father with all power and all authority. He is the only one to be counted worthy to pay for in full the sin of the world. He's the only one that is counted worthy to lift the curse. He's the only one that is counted worthy to open the scroll. All glory forever and ever. Amen. All the earth will one day bend the knee and all the earth will one day bow down. They will worship the Lion of Judah. Every tongue will confess this. I assure you that. There's nothing else like it. 
This is the Christ. This is our Savior. According to that, alongside of that, in line with and faithful to that, He will fulfill all of your needs. He, faithful and true. And sometimes He says, my grace is sufficient. The Philippians knew this. Paul knew this. And we here at PBC know this well. Sometimes we just need a good reminder of that. God is always good. Thinking of Tom, our dear friend, our dear servant in the hospital, God is good. Thinking of the trials that we've been through recently as a church, God is good. Thinking of the things that you think and I think are too little or irrelevant for God to even care about. Never let, the, never, let us never forget the character of our God. And remember that, that He knows the hairs on your head. That the God that knows and made and, and manages everything in this universe, everything in the seas, and yet He cares enough to know the numbers of hairs on your head. Your head. We serve a big God. How are you challenged by the bigness of our God? And yes, that is a deep theological term, bigness. Okay? But as we land the plane in Philippians... Brittany wanted to say something along the lines of some sort of strip in the Philippians church, and uh, I think that was wise. I just couldn't think of a way to say it. So as we're landing the plane, that's what I'll say, and prepare, prepare for our next study, I just want to remind you that the God of the Philippians is big, and they knew this. They, <clears throat> they were reminded of this, and therefore they gave big. Not just money, but fruit. Big God, big deep understanding, big fruit, big joy, big theology. This is evidence that they have. And in that theology, those truths, the God who manages the, the universe, who made it all in six days, the cosmos that's in his hands, he cares about the needs of the Paul. Of Paul, not the Paul, but of Paul. The little things. So much so, so that he put the desires in the Philippians to give. To meet his needs enough to have an abundance. God did that. Nobody's fooled by this. God did that. And that same God that was in the garden, that watched his creation fall, the same God that, that watched his son crushed on the cross, and by the way, he was pleased to crush him. He never changed from then. He never changed from then to the Philippians. And he hasn't changed from the Philippians to us. And also from us on. This is the God from everlasting to everlasting. Always the, always the same. He's unable to change. It is a true impossibility for our God to change. 
Not that he would want to anyways. Therefore, his word is everlasting and, and timeless. The other night at care group, we were discussing the character and characteristics of God, such as the hypostatic union and the Trinity and the ascety of God. And not that that's a normal discussion that we always have. We always hit the character of God, but those are this was a, a rabbit trail that I enjoyed and I think that everybody else enjoyed as well. But, but these were topics that just leave you breathless, the character of God. And it was just amazing. All I want to do is point out that it was amazing to be with God's people discussing our Creator and realizing just as, as we're all about to drown in these, in the depths there, that we haven't even begun to scratch the surface. Scratch the surface just that, that men has laid out for us, let alone the actual truths of God and the depths thereof. He is eternal. But that God in verse 19, that God, the, the subject in, in verse 19 is the glory in Christ. Doxa, the glory. Verse 19 I'll read it again. And my God will fulfill all your needs and according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. It's kind of a building on there, but the subject there is the glory that's in Christ Jesus. That's the same doxa or glory that we have been called by, that he has called us by. 2 Peter 1.3 2 Peter 1.3 says, Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the full knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. And you may ask, why would He do this? Why would He do that? Well, Romans 9.23 tells us. Romans 9.23 says, And in order that he might make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy. And in order that he might make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy. Again in Ephesians 1 verses 7 and then we'll skip down to 18 verses. Ephesians 1, 7 and 18. He says, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our transgression according to the riches of His grace. Then Paul breaks that down in, in fine detail and some of these things. And then in verse 18 he says, So that you, the eyes of your heart having been enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. It's glory invested. It's glory used to make more glory. Christ deserves all of the glory, and it will be His. Then Paul moves on to his final greeting in verses 21 through 23. But through verses 15 through 23, we are reminded of God's faithfulness. I think generosity... The term generosity would be a gross understatement. But just as he was faithful and generous to give Adam and Eve a sacrifice in the garden, 
Just as a God who can never change was faithful to Israel from the beginning to this day. Just as the God who has preserved His Word for us, that faithful and and generous God who preserved His Word for us to have today. On a human level, the Bible, if you just sit and think about it, the Bible itself would be impossible. Impossible to write, impossible to preserve altogether. But a faithful God, He is able And I think we are a little early, like I stated. So in finishing, we're, we're a little early. So in conclusion, I want us to apply a bit of Philippians as a whole. I think this section sums up the whole of Philippians in just a little snippet. But I want us to mimic Paul's sentiment here. So if you would... Be so kind, sometime today, preferably sooner rather than later, go to someone and remind them of a time, hopefully with specifics, that you were greatly encouraged by them. And that they helped you in the matter of giving God more or all of the glory. Would you do that with me today? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, you are good. Thank you for these kind words that you have given us. Thank you for all of the scriptures and help us in our finite being, help us apply them. Help your spirit come and and apply them as, as we as fallen individuals would have no ability to do so in and of ourselves, but but your spirit allows us to do so. And we thank you so much for that. We thank you for the life-changing work that the spirit is doing in us and, and here at PBC. And it's all because of your son, the life, the death, and the resurrection and of Christ, paying for our sin as, as we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And we praise you that you would reach down and, and even think of us. Thank you for that. Thank you. For the next hour as well as, as, as we are led through the book of John and, and that we could just glean from a friend of Christ and, and his kind words that just puts it so clearly for us. And we praise you for that. We pray for our next study that, that we would all be edified by it as well. Thank you for these people that you would call us your own. Praise you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.